Hey guys, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. Guys, I got something uh, super big coming up. I'm doing some training. I'm doing online training, super interactive training on dealing with angry clients. I have lectured on dealing with angry clients for a dozen years all over the world. Uh, this is one of my most popular lectures, and I've broken it up and changed it into an online workshop. I am going to be running it on Wednesday, November 18th. It's at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. That's 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is for anyone in the team who might be dealing with an angry client. It is 90 minutes long. It will be super interactive, um, and it is going to kick butt. I will put links in the uh, description below. If you cannot make those times, there will be a recorded version. If you want to have your whole team watch it, there is a recorded version for teams, but uh, I need you to get registered before the time. Uh, information at the website, I'll link down below. It's called Charming the Angry Client. It is on Wednesday, November 18th. I would love to see you there. Now, let's get into this episode. I have got the living legend, Dr. Michael Shear, back with us again today. Dr. Shear, as I said uh, in the last week's episode, uh, had a huge impact on me in my career and my training. Uh, I think that's true for most of us Florida graduates who have come through. He's been practicing. Uh, he'd probably hate me saying this. He's been practicing for 50 years. The guy is an encyclopedia. And honestly, not just encyclopedia of facts, but of experience. And I'll just tell you real quick, one of the, one of the things that, that I've always been most impressed about with him, he would talk to us as students about his pile of bones. And he talked about that as far as things that he missed, uh, things he didn't think of, things he didn't see, cases he wished he had back. And to have just someone who is so accomplished as him to just be open about the fact that we're human beings and we all make mistakes and we all learn and we're all on a journey um, it, it just meant, it meant a ton to me. And so um, I just want to pass, pass that on to you guys is even the legends have a pile of bones and we were all on a journey and we we're all learning. And, uh, and this, is, this is a guru for me. Uh, he is a mentor. He is someone I've always looked up to. I love having him on this podcast. We're going to unpack a case on a week cat. And uh, this is a case that Dr. Cher uh, brought along to share. It's one of his favorites and you'll see why as we get into it. Guys, Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, Dr. Michael Scher. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Andy. And um, we're here uh, to discuss a, uh, a week a weakened cat. A weakened cat. Yeah, I have got um, I've got this cat that I'm working with. She huh. is a ten year old female spade, domestic short hair. Her name is Jewel. Her parents are really nice. Uh, they really want the best for Jewel. They're really good cat owners. Um, they came in, and the presenting complaint was weakness, progressive weakness, and they said that over the last two weeks. She's gotten um, she's gotten steadily weaker, and when my technician asked them when was the last time that she was really normal, they said, "Well, you know, maybe maybe it's been a month, so mm -hmm. it, it, it might be a little bit a little bit longer than that." Um, she's got a couple of uh, blood work abnormalities. Her BUN uh, her BUN is forty. Her creatinine is two point one. Sodium is about 150, 152, and their potassium is about 2.4. Um, 
Yeah, and just I'm just sort of looking yeah. at this. I'm getting ready to walk into the room. Uh, the technician did not tell me anything obvious on physical exam. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking at this blood work that came with the cat. What are you looking for here? Help me out before I go in and make a fool of myself. How, how do you treat this? Okay, well, the primary complaint of weakness can have several causes. Um, anything from cardiovascular to uh, electrolyte abnormalities to neurological disease uh, to muscular disease and just to name a few before we open all of those up um, and um, endocrinologic disease mm-hmm. renal disease in other right. words I'll be honest with you a 10-year-old cat that has any disease that can make them sick, as it progresses, it could make them weak. So mm-hmm. we could probably go down a list of, of 100 or more different conditions. So what I'm going to try to do is hone in on this thing from a very objective standpoint and then zero in on it like a ground-to-air missile um, once I get my history and uh, then where I have an opportunity to ask more questions and then go on to do my physical examination. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's sort of walk through it. Is that, is that a hypothetical? We can make this hypothetical and, and go through it. So, um, yeah. So, so starting off with this case, I'm going in the exam room. There's a laundry list of, of differentials. What, what do you think? I mean, we start with the physical examination. Okay. Um, let me first uh, ask the owner uh, just a couple things before I get into the physical regarding uh, her appetite and her general sense of uh, being. And um, if the owner tells me that the cat is barely eating now, lost its appetite, then that, of course, is going to put it uh, up the scale of severity for me because then you deal with some of the consequences of malnutrition. And then I want to find out whether or not it's an indoor cat or an outdoor cat. And um, in this situation, it's going to sound like she's uh, she's a, she's a, she's a, an indoor cat, since right. uh, they're able to describe her so so well. So now I'm going to look at the cat while it's on the table, and I'm going to uh, just look at her her um, her mental status. It, is she attentive to me walking in the room uh, or is she all spaced out um, in a little bit of a, uh, a uh, different place altogether? Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm going to be looking at her posturing. And when I noticed her posturing, I noticed her to be, um, she, she postures on all four limbs, but uh, she tends to bend her neck uh, ventrally. And then when I gently lift her neck, she drops it down again, and it doesn't cause any pain. So while I'm talking to the owner, um, I'm looking at the cat breathe, and uh, I haven't even put my stethoscope on her yet. I'm just doing a very cursory, big picture type of um, evaluation. And uh, then I'll work through the various systems on her, And I take the main problem that I observed, and I'm going to make that my, 
my my last issue because okay. I don't want to miss anything else. So I'm going to look at her TPR. I'm going to look at her thorax, auscultate it, um, then palpate her abdomen um, for any masses or any uh, focal points of discomfort. And um, then I'm going to look at her closely again once I get to her, her head region. I'm going to look at her facial expression, whether her cranial nerves work, whether her eyes are following me, and then I'm back to that neck weakness. Okay. So if I find her with a ventral neck flexion, and I find out that uh, her diet has been a normal cat food diet, adequately supplemented with all the necessary ingredients uh, that we want for cats, uh, then I'm going to start wondering about what causes that ventral neck flexion. And if it's not associated with any pain or any guarding movements, then I'm going to be thinking of something that is weakening the cat and focus in on the muscles. Okay. So uh, then I'm going to refer back to the uh, bloods that were sent in with the cat and notice that she has a 152 sodium and a potassium that's around 2.3. I'll go back and assess the cat to see if she's dehydrated or not. And if she is dehydrated, let's say a mild to moderate amount, then that 2.3 might even in reality be a 2.1 or 2.0. So now I'm left with a, a sodium in the low 150s and the potassium so low. She's mildly azotemic, and now I go on my differential diagnosis of what can cause that type of abnormality. Okay. okay. So, yep, love it. Okay. So from there, if I go through the differential diagnosis of hypokalemia, I know that the potassium can lower because of three basic mechanisms. Either the body's not taking it in, mm -hmm. or the body is losing it, or the body is shifting it from one compartment to another. Okay. So her appetite has only recently decreased. So I'm going to assume that, um, and if she's on a balanced diet, I'm going to, to assume that her intake was, was, was good. Right. So then I have to um, think about extra, extra potassium loss. And that's where I'm going to start thinking of um, a couple other things. Um, that, that being, if she's mildly azotemic, I would first uh, check the urine-specific gravity. And if she's showing um, isostenuria, mm -hmm. and then if I conclude that she has some element of chronic renal disease, then her potassium might be low because of renal loss. And then while I'm palpating her kidneys, or whether I'm doing uh, any type of imaging work, I'm going to look at the kidneys very, very carefully. And then if I could zone in on the adrenal glands, I will uh, be uh, very interested in whether or not uh, she has any enlargement of those adrenal glands, or whether she has any asymmetry, whether she has one big adrenal and one small adrenal because 
chronic renal disease I know can cause hypokalemia in cats, and it's right. a vicious circle where the hypokalemia can cause this dysfunctional nephrons. But on the other hand, if she has herself an adrenal mass, now I'm going to think of an adrenal tumor. Right. And with this type of electrolyte abnormality, I'm going to think of an aldosteronoma. Wow. Okay. And uh, that she's, and then to put it all together, I'm going to say, okay, I can account for her hypokalemia. There might be the kidneys contributing somewhat, but if I have an adrenal abnormality, I'm going to suspect that she might be making too much aldosterone and that the aldosterone is signaling to the distal segment of the kidney to dump potassium. Okay. And uh, typically of an animal with hyperaldosteronism, we'll find that uh, they can be sodium retentive and they can also be hypertensive. Right. So if I find that um, her blood pressure is hanging over 180, then I'm going to say she's going to be a classic uh, situation that you call Kahn's syndrome, C-O-N-N-S, okay. C-O-N-N apostrophe S. It's a human um, eponym for an adrenal mass lesion that's producing excess aldosterone. So um, I would um, I would take those issues back to the client and say, now look, um, the kidney situation we could probably handle with um, kidney diets okay. as, as we get out of this more um, acute situation with the adrenal mass. Uh, her blood pressure is high, so we're going to want to bring that down with something like amlodipine. Mm-hmm. And let's try to get that blood pressure below 150. Otherwise, she might have hypertensive retinopathy and she'll start bleeding in her retina. Right. Um, the next thing is, what about the um, the uh, potassium? Well, if you want to prove that she has an aldosteronoma, you could send a blood sample out to University of Tennessee, and they'll send you an aldosterone result, usually within a week. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to do an ACTH stim on them, uh, because when they're hyperaldosteronism uh, in cats, um, we'll find that... Um, they are, um, their resting values are usually elevated as well. Mm -hmm. So um, depending on what lab they're using and what units of measurement, but if you have something that's, you know, five times normal, aldosterone speaking, then uh, you got yourself your your diagnosis. Now, let me just reverse it just a little bit. Yeah. if I were to have ultrasound the cat and I did not see adrenal asymmetry, okay. but both adrenal glands were, were, were plump, I can still say she has hyperaldosteronism, but she has it from bilateral adrenocortical hyperplasia. And I'm going to treat that differently than I would an adrenal tumor mm-hmm. because the adrenal tumor is usually going to have to be operated and removed. Right. And you want to do th- uh, th- uh, chest rads to make sure it's not metastasized. Mm-hmm. But if she has adrenal hyperplasia, we could control that medically. We don't have to do adrenalectomies. Okay. So <clears throat> let's say that for the time being, 
The cat's potassium is 2.1. She's not yet a surgical candidate. She has an adrenal mass and she's hypertensive. So you got to make the cat safe for surgery. So you have to make her normal tensive. Right. And then you're going to want to put her on potassium supplementation. And that might be as much as um, 60 to 80 milliequivalents per liter. Okay. Okay, now she's only going to go. She's only going to get a portion of that in 24 hours, but um, the the main point is that she's not going to compensate with 20 milliequivalents per liter. It's going to take a lot more. Right. And then, as far as what to expect, once you start the potassium infusion, you might find that the the next day's potassium might only be minimally elevated. But then you say to yourself, well, why is that happening? Well, when you think of how potassium is distributed through the body, 98% of it is in the intracellular space. 2% of it is in the extracellular fluid space. So while you're giving it IV, where's most of it going? Into the intracellular space. Mm -hmm. Because it's the main cation in that particular body compartment. So it might take a couple days to a few days to get that potassium level up. So let's say now that we're dealing with some resistance. It's not responding to the potassium infusion. So now you say to yourself, well, what can I do to stop all of the potassium loss? Okay. Because we've increased the input, but we still haven't decreased the output if she still has hyperaldosteronism. So how are we going to tame down the effects of the high aldosterone effect on the distal kidney? And we do that with a drug called spironolactone. Mm -hmm. Okay? And uh, some use it as a diuretic, but it's a very weak diuretic. But it works more specifically by inhibiting the effects of aldosterone at the distal renal segment. Gotcha. So putting the two together, you can anticipate over the next day or so after that that the potassium will normalize, and now you got yourself a, sur a safe surgical candidate. Love it. Okay? Yes. So that's basically how we do it. Now, <clears throat> if there is no adrenal tumor and I'm left with adrenal hyperplasia, okay, mm -hmm. I mean... When, I, when you say see bilateral adrenal hyperplasia, you usually think of uh, Cushing's disease, right? Mm -hmm. But in this case, when you're talking about hyperaldosterone, it's actually hyperplasia of the zona glomerulosa, that part of the adrenal cortex that produces aldosterone. Right. Okay? So if I have bilateral hyperplasia, and, and I don't want to do a bilateral adrenalectomy, Instead, I'm going to right. treat that cat forever with potassium supplementation and spironolactone. Okay. Long-term maintenance. That's, okay. that's how you go through that whole case. And okay. then, of course, you, you still continue the amlodipine. I love it. Okay. What, let, me, let me jump back here. Okay. What if, and, and tell me if this is possible, you mentioned uh, renal disease as uh, a cause of weakness. If I don't see any sort of adrenal abnormalities, anything like that, do you see this type of uh, of of ventral flexion of the neck and things like that with with um, yes. with renal disease? Yeah, the answer to that is yes. And I'll refer you back to a paper 
by Stephen Doe, D-O-W, when he was at Colorado State, and he had a joint department. He's a veterinarian uh, who also works at Denver Children's Hospital, um, but he was at CSU, and in the, in the 1990s, he did great research and to show where cats with chronic renal disease can, can go hypokalemic mm-hmm. severely enough to the degree I just described before with the aldosteronoma. Mm-hmm. So if you have a cat with bilateral uh, pruny little kidneys and uh, you're treating chronic renal disease, well, you can go ahead and um, give them fluids until you reach your steady state and hydration's improved. And then uh, you're going to put them on renal diet and hopefully they'll eat that. But you'll have to put that cat on Tomol K as well. Okay. And by, by uh, supplementing with the potassium, you'll be able to um, hopefully normalize the potassium in the bloodstream And that, in turn, will actually contribute to improved kidney function. Yeah. Because um, with hypokalemia, you can get a tubular nephropathy. And that'll be contributing to the cat's renal disease until you correct the potassium. Mm, Perfect. No, that makes makes absolute sense. Let me also just add that uh, practitioners might want to know, well, isn't it kind of dangerous to give potassium supplementation to an animal with chronic renal disease? We're all taught in school that they get hyperkalemic. And the answer to that question is this. Cats will not become hyperkalemic until they go oliguric or anuric. But if they have polyuria and hypokalemia, you can give potassium very safely. Okay. Perfect. That's wonderful. Yeah. Dr. Scheer, thank, thanks a lot for doing this. I, you know, you, you were a clinical instructor for me at Florida. Uh, you were a legend in veterinary medicine. I have often thought that one of the biggest problems with education in vet medicine is that I didn't know what questions to ask you when, we were, uh, when I was a vet student. I, and now, now that I've been in practice a dozen years, now, now I, I, I sit back down with a, a, new, uh, a new understanding of, of of what I'm up against, I guess. And it's just, uh, I've always, I've always thought how great it would be to go back and spend time with you now that I've had some experience as a doctor to, to really benefit from your knowledge. So thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you're, it. You're very welcome, Andy. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Take care. And that's what we got for you today. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. I hope you liked this episode. Um, the best thing, the nicest thing you can do is share it, share it with friends, share it with people who, um, who might enjoy it, who might learn from it, who might, uh, benefit from the knowledge of Dr. Share. Uh, that helps us get the word out. It really, you can make my whole day by writing an online review, an honest online review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and just tell people that you like the podcast is how people find us. It, uh, it really does mean a lot. Anyway, gang, take care, be well, talk to you later.